On this edition of Locked On Grizzlies, it is a finals Wednesday, and I will be grinding forth with you, dear listener, dear viewer, as we take a look at internal growth and how the Memphis Grizzlies once again are doubling down on their ability to develop on their way to a hopeful title, plus how Ja and Jaron must work on their connection in an uncertain time, and how Luke Kennard fits in both with and without Ja Morant. All that and more on this installment of Locked On Grizzlies. Let's lock in. You are Locked On Grizzlies, your daily Memphis Grizzlies podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Finals Wednesday to you and yours. It's becoming a holiday here around Locked On Grizzlies. I hope that you are enjoying your summer. Hopefully you're staying safe if there's any crazy weather, heat or storms or whatever it might be flowing your way over the last couple of days. I am your host for this episode, Joe Mullinax. I am of Bluff City Media. I also am of SB Nation. Every once in a while, I contribute over to that fine website. I am not joined on this episode by my wonderful co-host, Michael Cole of the Commercial Appeal there in Memphis, Tennessee. He's running the Pro-Am circuit in Memphis. He's checking out what's going on uh, with the various hoopers this time of year. In August, I'm sure he'll have plenty to talk about the next time he is on Locked On Grizzlies, and we'll talk more about that later. But I am with you this time around as we take a look on this finals Wednesday at the path that the Memphis Grizzlies have chosen to get to title contention. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, like, comment, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you see fit to do. Hopefully it's all positive energy and vibes coming from you dear listener, dear viewer, about our podcast. I'm celebrating my one-year anniversary, right? That was nice to see on Twitter or X, whatever the heck it's called now. It was good to see uh, the shout-out from the Locked On Podcast Network. I have thoroughly enjoyed my first year here at Locked On, and I look forward to year two. Haven't been fired yet. Knock on wood. Uh, thank you to David Locke. Thank you to Nick, our wonderful Angstad, our wonderful uh, head of Locked On NBA. I love working with the Michael Cole. I think he's fantastic, as I'm sure you do as well. And wherever you get podcasts, we're proud members of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I look forward to that continuing into year two here on Locked On Grizzlies. On this finals Wednesday, the Memphis Grizzlies continuing to try to do our best to look at this team through the lens of a title contender, because just prep yourself now, dear listener, dear viewer. There are going to be a lot of people ready to write off the Memphis Grizzlies when season prediction time is upon us, writing off would be below the five seed, in my opinion, in the Western Conference. I think you can make a logical argument for the Grizzlies being the five. I'm not saying that's where I'm going to put them. I still have to do all my prep work for that. I'm sure that'll be an episode of Lockdown Grizzlies in the next month or so. I think anything below five, in my opinion, is too low. But, a lot of that has to do with my following the team as long as I have all through the Zach Climate era and beyond and understanding how important it is to head coach Taylor Jenkins and his staff, this idea of internal development. And they have done such a strong job internally developing their talent that it's hard to bet against them at this point if you've been paying attention. National media, folks that follow the NBA at large, they're not going to have the capacity to follow 
the Memphis Grizzlies the way that DeMichael and I do. That's why you're here, right? You want to hear from people that are seen as experts. And I've been doing this over a decade now covering the Memphis Grizzlies. So I don't know that I'm an expert, but I will say that very few people have written or talked about the Memphis Grizzlies more than me over the last decade. I will, you know, pat myself on the back for that one. I give this front office and this coaching staff the benefit of the doubt when it comes to development. But that is going to be tested more than it ever has before this year for a variety of reasons that we're going to talk about throughout today's show. But I'm going to lead off with the idea of how young the team remains, even with the addition of Derrick Rose and Marcus Smart and the departure of Dylan Brooks and Tyus Jones, the team has technically gotten a little bit older. But obviously a year older across the board for the roster as well does not necessarily equate to veteran status. And while you do have, starting next season, three guys on the roster all making over $100 million, if not more, nine-figure contracts for Desmond Bain, John Morant, and Jaron Jackson Jr. When you look at this team and how it is structured and how they have built up their two-seed realities the last couple of seasons, it's through that idea of internal development, whether it's Desmond Bain himself. We've talked about him a ton here on Lockdown Grizzlies, his ability to be a three-level scorer, his ability to create and facilitate for himself and others. That didn't exist to this level coming out of TCU. That is very much something that he has developed through his NBA career to this point. You can go up and down the list of guys. John Conchar, phenomenal example of internal development. The growth of Brandon Clark as a player. The improvement of players like John Morant. How he has taken his game to the next level in a variety of ways. Jaron Jackson Jr. is another example. We all knew that Jaron had the potential to be an all-defensive team guy. But at the same time, he hasn't realized that until recently. And part of that's just getting older. Maybe you make an argument that most NBA coaches would be able to put Jaron in that position. But whether it's young players or whether it's guys that have been around, the Grizzlies have found ways to put their talent in the best position to be successful. And they deserve credit for that, the front office and the coaching staff. But this year will be challenging because they're placing that bet in a time where they are now truly a title contender. I mentioned the extension for Bain. He's not making that much money this coming season, but after this one, it's a sizable raise. And you're flirting and getting closer to that luxury tax. Oh, by the way, you just made a trade of two first-round picks and Tyus Jones for Marcus Smart, who I do believe makes the Grizzlies closer to a true championship contender in a variety of ways. Most importantly, the mentality he brings to the talented roster that's in place. But that doesn't change the fact that they're still pretty young. That doesn't change the fact that while Marcus Smart is a very good basketball player and a perfect fit chemistry and culture wise for what the Grizzlies need, he isn't the six foot seven, six foot eight wing that I and others were desperately calling for all season and early offseason long. OG Ananobi ain't walking through that door. Mikel Bridges certainly is not. Insert any wing that, theoretically speaking, would be a better fit. And the Grizzlies do not have that player on their roster. Instead, they have David Roddy. Instead, they have Zaire Williams. Instead, they have Jake LaRavia. And they're hoping that one of those guys, in addition to other pieces, can potentially be contributors on a championship contending team. 
it's a bold strategy. And it's one, you know, you can't say that Zach Kleiman, the GM of the Grizzlies, is quadrupling down on youth. Because, again, Marcus Smart is here. Marcus Smart has arrived. They have made their move to position themselves as more along the lines of what we would see as a traditional championship contender. Marcus Smart has that pedigree. He has that capacity to bring that mentality, that tenacity, that focus that this young Grizzlies team desperately needs. Marcus Smart can be that spirit animal that Memphis so desires pretty easily just by being himself. He doesn't have to force a thing. But how they develop the shooting stroke of David Roddy, how they put Jake LaRavia in positions to create for himself and others, how Zaire Williams somehow becomes a three-point shooter. All of these questions are things that need to be answered in order for them to be producers at the level that a title-contending Memphis Grizzlies team needs them to be. And it's a bet on one of those three guys taking off. Doesn't mean that they have to be a starter. Doesn't mean that they need to be the sixth man. We'll talk about who I think makes the most sense for that in Luke Kennard later on. It needs to be in the sense of, okay, we need 14 minutes from Jake LaRavia tonight. They have a bigger wing in their reg rotation. We need a guy that's able to get a hand in front of his face and still knock down shots. If LaRavia can be that consistently, I think we're having a conversation about Memphis as a championship contending team. Because that's really all they're missing at this stage if the team is healthy. Assuming Brandon Clark is back for the playoffs. Assuming that Steven Adams stays healthy. Assuming that John Morant is motivated more than ever before coming out of his suspension. All of that has to align in order for this to work out the way that Memphis wants it to. And it comes down to that idea of internal growth, not just in terms of their physical skill, but in terms of their mentality with the arrival of Marcus Smart. It's something that makes me nervous, but I have watched this team and this front office and this coaching staff enough to know that if anybody is worthy of a bet on such sort of development, it is the Memphis Grizzlies. A major development that's not going to happen anytime soon, at least in an NBA arena or NBA practice floor, is the growth of the jaw and Jaron connection. If the Grizzlies are going to win a championship, they need that to improve. We're going to talk about that next here on Lockdown Grizzlies. But first, this episode of Lockdown Grizzlies is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long because right now when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you will get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. When we come back, we will be discussing the Jaw jaron connection, the significance of it, and how that directly connects on this Finals Wednesday edition of Locked on Grizzlies. Stay with us. Welcome back to Locked on Grizzlies. I am your host, Joe Molinax, flying solo on this episode of the podcast. No to Michael Cole, the commercial appeal beat writer for that publication there in Memphis, Tennessee. He is on the Memphis Pro-Am circuit. He might be playing, to be honest with you. I've heard to Michael. He's a pretty good player. He's probably just covering it, but you can never be too sure with an athlete caliber of DeMichael Cole. I am Joe Mullinax of Bluff City Media. I also write over at SB Nation every now and again. And I am with you each and every uh, time, just about, that there is a Lockdown Grizzlies episode. And again, thanks to everyone who makes us part of their NBA and Memphis Grizzlies content consumption experience each and every time a show goes live. Again, this time of the year, it's not quite every day, but 
it's consistent. And hopefully you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts as well as on YouTube or on YouTube. And you're checking us out whenever something pops up in the old feed. Hopefully you get a notification. Up, oh, wake up everybody, new Lockdown Grizzlies. We're talking on this finals Wednesday episode of the show about internal growth. And the biggest example of that, that I can think of, the most obvious one, the gigantic elephant in the room that gets talked about, but probably not as much as it should be, is the fact that Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant do not consistently play well together. Now, when you look at their lineup numbers, when you look at them playing alongside a Steven Adams, a Desmond Bain, a Dylan Brooks even, their lineup numbers are stout, right? Uh, I do want to point out the strength of those numbers in particular when it comes to them next to John Conchar, who is very malleable in terms of his game, and Santi Aldama. He is impressive in terms of, or the pairing is impressive. Uh, Conchar, they were plus 14.2 in terms of uh, point differential. They're plus 11.9 when it came to Morant, Brooks, Bain, Jackson, and Adams. This is per cleaning the glass. So they're five man lineups are strong but how much of that has to do with john jaron playing well together and how much of that has to do with the pieces around them DeMichael does a great job every time we have this conversation pointing out how stephen adams skill set fits perfectly he may not be the perfect player for the grizzlies in terms of ability but he is the perfect player in terms of the talents that he brings to the table and how he fits within the grizzly scheme same thing with Dylan Brooks, now departed Dylan Brooks from Memphis, heading to Houston. But Dylan was a strong defender. He was able to be what Memphis needed him to be. That starting five of Morant, Brooks, Bain, Jackson, Adams, pretty successful. And I think if you add Marcus Smart to that mix, which we'll talk more about here later on in the show, theoretically speaking, considering how bad Dylan was offensively, if Marcus Smart is roughly the same to even a little bit worse to Dylan defensively, but he is a measured offensive improvement because of his facilitation skill, because of the fact he's not going to shoot 30% from the field, you'd imagine, like Dylan did at times. If that occurs, the Grizzlies will just improve by the fact that Marcus Smart is not Dylan Brooks. But when you think about great big point guard combinations, when you think about James Harden and Joel Embiid, when you think about Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, the names John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. don't necessarily align. And a lot of that is because the strengths of one another's games are not things that align perfectly in terms of what they bring to the table successfully for the Grizzlies. For the first part, Harden and Murray both are successful three-point shooters, or at least more successful than John Morant is. So in a pick-and-roll situation, an opposing team has to respect the shooting of Harden, and the shooting of Murray, whereas with Jaron and Ja, Jaron is the better three-point shooter than Ja is. So teams might worry about a pick-and-pop situation with Jaron more so than they would Morant getting hot from three. It happens every once in a while, but certainly not consistently enough. On top of that, when it comes to Jaron himself, he is not the best screener. Michael and I have talked about that on here numerous times in the lead-up to the FIBA tournament, right? That is something, since Jaron is the true five for Team USA, that he should get better at because he is going to be depended on as that key lead screener for on-ball screens, off-ball screens. He is the main center they got, except for Walker Kessler. And because of that, he is going to be tasked with doing a lot of similar things to what Steven Adams does for the Grizzlies that Jaron doesn't have to do as much 
because he's the four and he's not that true big that's on the floor. So I don't anticipate Jaron becoming Steven Adams by any stretch of the imagination in terms of how he physically plays the game. But I do see that experience being beneficial because in the lead up to that tournament, in the time that we've seen John Jaron together, Jaron thrives in what kinds of situations? Trail as a three man, shooting the three, being the trailing big, I should say, in a fast break or transition opportunity, isolation on the perimeter, getting the ball on the block against a smaller combo forward. Jaron does not thrive in the pick and roll. And while so much of what Ja does is pick and roll based, who is he usually doing it with? Steven Adams, who's just physically one of the best screeners in the NBA. And when he's healthy, Brandon Clark, who's one of the league's elite finishers at the rim. Jaron is not either of those things. He's not massive and physical to the way that Adams is. And he is also not that elite finisher at the basket above the rim like Brandon Clark is. When you combine all those factors, their games don't mesh as well as you would necessarily think. That partnership, which is going to be very difficult to build upon, at least in an NBA-specific way, since they can't practice together until December, that is going to be off the court, finding ways to build and change their skill. And it might be them focusing on themselves individually. And then once they eventually come back together, being in a spot where there's a little bit more space to show that growth because their games are so strong aside from one another that if they could ever find a way, especially offensively, to connect those dots and find each other more consistently and successfully on that end of the floor, look out. This Grizzlies team is successful doing what it does despite being a mediocre or worse half-court offense. What makes a strong half-court offense? Watch the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, Jokic being the point center helps, and the Grizzlies aren't going to ask Jaron to do that, understandably so. But what allows for them to function is the ball movement, the creation and pick-and-roll sets, dribble handoffs. Those are all things that Jaron is capable of doing, especially with Morant, but we just haven't seen it consistently. Because what Jaron does best does not necessarily involve John Morant all that often. And what John Morant does best at least to this point, has not always involved Jaron Jackson Jr. If this Grizzlies team wants to be a championship contender, and again, that's what we're talking about here on this Finals Wednesday, regular season-wise, it's not as significant. You get to April, you get to May, you get to June, hopefully. Fingers crossed, you get to June. You have to be able to create an isolation and pick-and-roll situations. The Denver Nuggets did that consistently extremely well in the playoffs. It's one of the reasons they're one of the more dominant NBA playoff teams in recent memory. Memphis doesn't have Nikola Jokic. They don't have Jamal Murray or those other elite role players that are around those two guys. But they're not that far off. The key is meshing and melding and working together the games of your two best players. Desmond Bain's right there in the conversation. But as DeMichael talked about earlier on in the week, Desmond Bain plays well with Jaron Jackson Jr. Desmond Bain plays well with John Morant. John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. don't always function as well as Bain does with either of those guys. If you can complete that holy triumvirate of Grizzlies basketball and put Jaron and Jaw in a place where they can play well together, that's just another method of internal development. It's not just about young guys. It's about the other older young guys continuing to find one another and grow their games and build up what they do well together. It's also going to be about better integrating one of the 
more significant, insignificant players in the NBA right now. And I'll explain what I mean by that when I talk about Luke Kennard and how he fits into all this on this finals Wednesday edition of Lockdown Grizzlies. Stick with us. Welcome back to Lockdown Grizzlies. I am your host, Joe Monax, flying solo on this episode of the show. No to Michael Cole. He's off doing the Memphis Pro-Am stuff. He'll be back with you later on this week to talk about all the places he's been and all the things he's hearing regarding the Memphis Grizzlies as August grinds along. I am Joe Molinax of Bluff City Media, also of SB Nation from time to time as a contributor. Make sure you're following me on Twitter if you'd like, at Joe Molinax. I'm good for a wrestling tweet every once in a while, and obviously as the NBA picks back up, uh, Memphis Grizzlies-specific content information will be coming your way. Hopefully you're subscribing, liking, commenting, rating, reviewing, all those fun things as we push along here. On this episode of the show, we have talked about internal growth to the championship, whether it's developing a bigger wing like Zaire Williams or Jake LaRavia, helping them build their skill sets and that betting on one of those guys, being able to give you consistent minutes for a championship contender. That's essentially where we're at. On the more grand scale, the more important level, John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. having to work and find their games together. That is what we focused on just a moment ago. But now, we're going to take a look at somebody that seven months ago, Memphis Grizzlies fans probably could have cared less about. And that's Lou Kennard because he was on the Los Angeles Clippers and he wasn't being utilized very much by the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers had other players. Kennard was building a reputation for being a poor defender, wasn't hitting threes at the level that they needed. Kennard fell out of favor with Ty Lue and the Los Angeles Clippers. Trade happens. Kennard comes to Memphis around the trade deadline. And lo and behold, Luke Kennard has revitalized his career, at least in Memphis. He has revitalized his career because he was one of the lead three-point shooters in the NBA, which he's been in the past, right? He was that with the Clippers. But marrying that and combining it with the defense that Memphis played, with the spacing that players like John Morant when he wasn't suspended, and others like Desmond Bain in terms of facilitation combined, his skill set, particularly as an elite three-point shooter, was extremely valuable. There's people that are not as high on Luke Kennard. They don't see him as a long-term piece. They point to the issues with the Clippers and wondering why here in Memphis it's going to be different. One of the reasons it's different is because of the personnel, right? Steven Adams was not the fit in New Orleans with the Pelicans that maybe Nola wanted him to be in part because of the fit. Zion Williamson needed a lot of space and you really are in a position where it just wasn't a good schematic fit for Steven Adams. Luke Kennard might have been in the same boat with the Clippers. The defensive issues are still there, and I think they're fair to ask about and bring up, but what he brings to the table offensively, especially in a pairing with Desmond Bain. Those are two of the five best three-point shooters in the National Basketball Association, and they both play for the Memphis Grizzlies. When they're out there, you have to respect both of their abilities to shoot, and it creates so much more room to operate for whoever else is on the floor with them. So that's why it might be attractive to some to try to put Luke Kennard in the starting lineup. Eh-eh. I'm not interested in that. A Morant, or excuse me, a smart Bain, Kennard, Jackson Jr., Stephen Adams lineup sounds good, theoretically speaking. But I wonder if we're trying to maximize Luke Kennard, 18 to 20 minutes or so a game, putting him in a position to just shoot lights out, give proper spacing to guys like John Morant. If you are trying to do that, if that is the stated goal, why wouldn't you have him come off the bench as a reserve? If the defensive concerns are valid, and watch the tape, dear listener, dear viewer, 
I'm a Luke Kennard guy. I'm willing to acknowledge that he's a better team defender than I think he gets credit for. He might be worse in one-on-one defensive situations than he gets credit for. He struggles with lateral foot quickness. He just does. It's not a strength of his. Guys take him off the dribble regularly. If there's too much help on a defensive rotation, throws off the whole scheme. That is a realistic concern when it comes to Luke Kennard. But what he does offensively offsets so much of that to the point where in the playoffs, and it was a small sample size of five games, his net rating was one of the best, if not the best net ratings in the entire first round of the NBA playoffs. The Grizzlies were that much better when Kennard was on the floor because his offensive creativity from the space of the perimeter made so much more room for guys to operate. And that's without Kennard being the secondary or tertiary facilitator on a consistent basis that we saw him be with the Pistons more so than we did with the Clippers. Maybe that guy's not there anymore. But if I was Taylor Jenkins, I would be doing my best to explore that space and see what he has left in that tank, especially as a reserve. Because whatever defensive questions and curiosities may exist when it comes to Luke Kennard, regardless of who you're playing against, those issues are not as significant against second units. If Tyler Hero is the sixth man of the year, if he's back in a bench role, obviously that guy can score the ball, and that might be a problem for Luke Kennard. But depending on how Taylor Jenkins spaces out his rotations, he rarely goes with a true two-platoon system where it's a full two-second uh, unit out on the floor. So if you always keep Kennard with Marcus Smart, for example, or even David Roddy, if David Roddy winds up being the guy that rises up because of his defensive prowess, and Kennard can be the secondary defender on a reserve guard, he may still have issues from night to night, but they should not be as pronounced if you have him as the tertiary defender, if you count on Bain and Smart to be numbers two and one, respectively, on the perimeter against starters. Maybe the gap isn't that significant. Maybe you don't particularly care about starting versus reserves. But the way that it works out in terms of who mans those minutes alongside Kennard is going to be extremely significant because he has an elite NBA skill. You've heard me talk about it time and again. I want guys, if they're not elite NBA basketball players, like John Morant is obviously an elite NBA basketball player. That's the hard-hitting analysis you come to Lockdown Grizzlies for. Jaron Jackson Jr., I believe, in my opinion, he's worked his way up to being an elite NBA player. Bain's not quite there yet, but I think Desmond Bain could be there in the next year or two. If you're not an elite NBA player, you need to have an elite skill. Steven Adams is elite as a screener and an offensive rebounder. He is truly elite. Marcus Smart, elite off the court in terms of leadership and his mentality, elite on the court because of that same mentality, but also elite as a combo guard who, if he's not asked to be a true point guard, is one of the better facilitating perimeter players in the NBA at the secondary level. Luke Kennard is elite at shooting the three-point shot, and you have to maximize what that level of talent brings to the table. I think that Memphis did that at times in the Lakers series. I think that you see it in that plus minus reality, but the John Morant suspension muddies the waters. If you don't start Kennard, who do you start? Is it Jake LaRavia, Zaire Williams, David Roddy, John Conchar? All those names make varying levels of sense. And all of those names are names that I'm sure to Michael and I will talk about in future episodes of Lockdown Grizzlies, but it's Kennard and finding his footing as a reserve, maximizing his point per shot attempt opportunities and allowing him to be enough of a threat on the ball as a creator of offense for himself and others, that teams have to respect it. He doesn't have to do it every time down, 
But if all they know is that Kennard is a shooter, it limits what he's physically capable of. Put him in spots to expand the offense, and you'll be amazed at what can potentially happen. That is where Kennard fits best, in my opinion. Expansion of the offensive game while doing your best to negate his defensive woes by making sure most of his time is spent against reserves. Thank you so much for checking out Locked On Grizzlies wherever you are, however you may be listening or viewing the show. YouTube, like, comment, rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, as we are proud members of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team each and every day, or this time of year, almost every day, a few times a week here on Locked On Grizzlies uh, in the dog days of the NBA offseason. The next time we're back will be towards the end of the week. DeMichael Cole will be with you flying solo on that episode. Maybe I'll squeeze in another show. We'll see. We'll see how things are going, right? I'm a busy guy, but we will uh, definitely have DeMichael he'll talk about the memphis pro-am scene i'm sure he has time dear listener dear viewer i am joe molinax stay locked in very very grateful that you've been checking us out wherever you get your podcasts until the next time i see you stay locked in this is locked